Hello. Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And before I end the show, I'm going to give my tribute to the late Scott Hall, who we in the professional wrestling industry uh, lost um, this week. But before I get to Scott Hall, you know what time it is. Let's start the show. And Raw opens up with um, the WWE famously knowing as whenever a wrestler passes away, they open up with a rest in peace to Scott Hall. And it gives the date of when he was born to when he passed. And um, the first person that comes out is Kevin Owens. He comes out and he does an in-ring promo. But before he starts off with his promo, he starts off with a, hey, yo, paying tribute to Scott Hall. Uh, Kevin Owens talks about what he's going to do at Mania. He goes on by saying he's going to beat up Stone Cold and yada, yada, yada. You get the drift. And to end it off, he says he's going to, well, he stuns the cameraman. He gives a stutter to the cameraman. To be honest with you, I couldn't focus on this uh, Kevin Owens promo, to be honest with you, because I was shocked by uh, the Scott Hall being pronounced uh, dead and on WWE television. I, I couldn't, uh, I didn't really pay attention, to be honest. And, um, yeah, that's the only thing I got for you on Kevin Owens thing. I knew what they were going. I was like, all right, cool. But I was just like out of that immediately after this promo, we got Finn Balor going against Damian Priest. And before the match began, you saw Austin Theory come out. He goes out on commentary side note here, Damian Priest, big, uh, fan of Scott Hall. He comes out and he looks up to the sky. He puts the finger up and then. He does the surfer Scott Hall walk. And during this match with Finn Balor, he does give Finn the razor's edge uh, to Finn on the announce table, a spot that I personally hate, but I understand why he did that. I wish he would have did it inside the ring again, but he did do the razor's edge again to pay tribute to Scott Hall. Um, Finn does lose the match to Damian. Thanks to a distraction by Austin theory. When Finn was looking to hit the coup de grace, but Austin Theory got in the ring apron and stopped Finn, which made Finn get off the top turnbuckle and go after Theory and end up uh, drop kicking Theory into his commentary seat. Once Finn got back in the ring, Damian got him, uh, flipped him over to hit the reckoning on him for the win. After the match, you saw Austin Theory get in the ring and hit the ATL on Finn. So this is setting up for... Theory to ultimately go after Finn more or less next week, and probably we're gonna have Pat McAfee beat him on Austin Theory. That's just my speculation on it. After this, we had the Battle of the Giants. Omas going against Commander Aziz with Apollo in Aziz's corner. Omas will win the match by pinfall when Omas will hit his double hand choke slam on Commander Aziz. After the match, you saw Omas go over, grab Apollo from the outside of the ring as Omas is in the ring. He has his hand on Apollo's head. He grabs him up, brings him inside the ring, and then choke slams him and just leaves the ring after this. This basically was Omos just uh, showing off his dominance. After this, we had Liv Morgan with Rhea Ripley in her corner, going against Queen Selena with Carmella in her corner. Liv will win the match by pinfall when Liv will hit Oblivion on Selena Vega for the win. The story of this match was basically Carmella cares about herself and her relationship with Corey Graves. They're getting married soon, so she just being playing up to that and now she's basically just all self-absorbed and queen selena is basically trying to get carmella to watch her back but that's not happening 
After this, we get Seth Rollins having an in-ring promo. Seth Rollins talks about how he thought this year he wasn't going to be at Mania, but mentions how Kevin Owens gave him a pep talk backstage and made him come up with a plan. So Seth Rollins decided to call Kevin Owens out here so he could tell him as well as everybody else what's his plan going to be and how he's going to be on Mania. Kevin Owens comes out and Seth tells Kevin that he's going to be spitballing ideas about a talk show at Mania, talking about um, bringing back the Rollins report that he did in 2015. And he thought talked about a different show idea. But basically, the whole point is that he's going to take Stone Cold Steve Austin as a guest. Kevin Owens tells Seth Rollins that's a bad idea because Ke- uh, Stone Cold is Kevin Owens' guest, and he's already pissed off Stone Cold, so Stone Cold's going to be looking at Kevin Owens. Seth then mentions that, you know what, how about we have a match tonight, and the winner has their show at Mania, and they have Stone Cold on there as their guest. Kevin Owens doesn't like this idea, but Sonya Deville comes out, and she makes the match official, and that's going to be the main event of the night. After this, we have a tag team matchup. The Mysterios, Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic Mysterio, will go against the Hurt Business, Cesar Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Miz and Logan Paul were at commentary for this match. Uh, the Mysterious will win by pinfall when they hit a double 619 on Cedric. Then Dominic with his frog splash on him for the win. After the match, Miz and Logan Paul will get in the ring and attack the Mysterious, but the Mysterious were able to hold their own this time. And Ray was able to send Miz out of the ring, leaving Logan Paul in the ring with both Mysterios. Logan tried to take a swing at Dominic, but he missed, and Dominic pushed him into his father. Ray then kicked Logan in his shin and then drop kicked him in the back, setting Logan up in the position now to be hit with a 619. But before they could hit Logan with a 619, Miz pulls him out of the ring, so he saves his partner. Again, this is building up to the WrestleMania matchup, the tag team matchup of, of the Mysterios going against Miz and Logan Paul. That's all this was about. After this, we have Edge's in-ring promo. Edge comes out with new music. And apparently he's adopted the Undertaker's uh, purple lighting that I believe Taker had like in the 90, what, 94, 95, that purple, purple lighting. I'm not talking about the purple lighting that he's had from what, 2004 throughout the rest of his career. No, that wasn't as purple as Edge lighting in this. Uh, Edge states that his brain is firing off on a whole new level and that he is better than everyone in this entire industry. He states that he has been this way since he's came back, but he's been pent down inside of him because he wants to appease the fans. But now he realizes that the fans doesn't matter. And he says that this version of Edge is alive while that dead version of Edge is dead. The version that Edge came back to, the one that you guys were cheering and loving, the one that came back for you, he's dead and gone. Edge says that this version of Edge is going to decimate AJ at Mania, and he basically says that he's going to be casting judgment on everybody from here going down the line into the future. I understand what they were trying to get here. We're trying to state off this new persona of Edge and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. But um, my thing is, I would just rather just have Edge go against AJ. Yeah, cool. I beat you up because you're not the AJ that I want. I want the pissed off AJ, the one that came in in 2016, breaking Miz's teeth and all this type of stuff. He could have did that. And yeah, cool. I understand that's where they were headed with it. But he could have just did it like that instead of like, I got to form into this new version of Edge. Ah, yo, dog. You ain't got to go through that. You could have just said, dude, I did this because I want the old version of AJ. That's all you could have did. Not say I'm this new version. Don't, don't do that. 
After this, we get Bianca Belair going against Dewdrop with Nikki A.S.H. in her corner. Bianca Belair will win the match by pinfall when she is the KOD on Dewdrop for the win. After the match, as Bianca was celebrating in the ring, out of nowhere, Becky Lynch pulls Bianca Belair out of the ring. Becky then attacks Bianca on the outside of the ring by throwing her into ring steps and bouncing her head off the commentary table. Becky then grabs a chair and puts the chair around Bianca's neck. Then she ends up grabbing Bianca's long uh, ponytail and throws Bianca into the ring post, making that chair crash into Bianca's throat. So now as Bianca's on the ground just agonizing in pain, Becky tells her, next week, I'm going after the hair. So it seems to me that Becky's going to be trying to cut Bianca's hair more or less next week because Becky Lynch wasn't around Raw last week because of what Bianca did to her two weeks ago, which Bianca used her long braid to whip uh, Becky Lynch across her stomach area and gave her some markings. So that's basically where we're at with this. After this, we had an RK Bro Championship Celebration segment. In the ring, you had Randy throwing uh, Riddle a championship party. It was a crappy display. They basically had a love fest in there. Randy saying that he loves Riddle. He, that's his best friend and all this type of garbage. And then the Street Profits end up coming out to basically interrupt this thing. Thank God. The Street Profits remind them that they pinned them a couple weeks ago and decides to challenge them to a match at Mania. Randy tells them that they can't win one match and think they're going to get a match and declines their challenge. Riddle tells Randy that it's the right thing to do, and plus, they have no one else to face at Mania, so they have to face someone, so why not them? Randy tells the Street Profits that, you know what? You're lucky that my partner, Riddle, thinks you guys deserve a title shot, so you're going to get it at Mania. Montez then decides to thank Riddle, and Montez, before he leaves, he says, you know what? When I, when me and Dawkins decide to come back with the tag titles in Florida, we're going to show you how to throw a real party instead of this butt party. He says the A word, but anyway, uh, Montez disrespects the party. Riddle grabs him by the shoulder and said, I thought we were boys and you don't disrespect this. Randy put a lot of hard work into this and Riddle decides to challenge Montez to a match right now for disrespect. So that's where we're at. Montez Ford with Angela Dawkins in his corner. And then you got Matt Riddle with Randy Orton in his corner. They have this matchup. But it ends in a no contest when the Alpha Academy runs in and attacks both teams. So it seems to me at WrestleMania, we're going to get a triple threat for the Raw Tag Team titles. Alpha Academy going against the Street Profits, going against RK-Bro for the Raw Tag Team titles. That's where I see this heading. After this, it's time for the main event. Seth Rollins going against Kevin Owens. Winner has their show at Mania. Kevin Owens will win the match by pinfall when he hits a stunner on Seth for the win. They had a great back-and-forth matchup. But Kevin Owens does win the match. After it, you saw Seth Rollins look at the WrestleMania sign and he just stares at it because now it seems all hope is lost and Seth Rollins doesn't know how he's going to be on the Mania card. People thought that Cody Rhodes was going to show up tonight. People thought that Cody was going to pop out and challenge Seth or something. Let me explain this to y'all right now. Cody is not showing up until WrestleMania, if he has signed with WWE, all that has been really hush-hush, 
not said nothing. It hasn't been leaked out that Cody has signed. The only thing that we all do know is that Cody is technically, by all legal uh, sayings and proceedings, he is a free agent. He could go wherever he wants. It has not been signed to paper, at least to the public, that he has signed with WWE. If he has signed with WWE, he's going to pop up at Mania, saving Austin from basically a two-on-one beatdown by Kevin Owens and several Owens. This is where I see this happening. And he's going to get that big Mania pop, that big Mania cheer from the fans. And you're going to have a smoke, uh, Broken Skull Sessions with uh, Cody and Austin. I already said this about a couple weeks ago. That's how I see this happening. And then you have Monday Night Raw, the night after Mania, Cody pop up and talk about why he's back in WWE. That's how I see if Cody does sign back with WWE. But we will all have to see. And if that does happen, remember, where you hear it first, you heard it from me, G2, on Wrestling Highlights of the Week. If all that does go into play. Now, on to NXT. An important note to highlight. Next week uh, on NXT, it will be the finals of the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic of the teams of Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai will go against the Okota Kai and Wendy Chu. Winning team will go against Toxic Attraction at Stand and Deliver for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. Now, when we start off with NXT, they do pay their respects to Scott Hall. They do the exact same thing that they did on Monday Night Raw. They show the graphic of uh, Rest in Peace to Scott Hall. The first segment of the night for NXT is Miz TV. We have the Miz come out there, and his guest for tonight is the Dirty Dogs, Robert Roode and the NXT champion, Dolph Ziggler. They show footage of Braun Breaker trying to get at Dolph earlier while Dolph's car drove into the NXT parking lot, but Braun Breaker was sent to leave the arena. That's the reason why Braun Breaker did not like break up this whole Miz TV segment. Dolph comes out here. He's gloating about being the new NXT champion. Dolph talks about being a fighting champion. He'll fight against anybody, and as soon as that comes out of his mouth, out walks LA Knight. Knight steps up and says that he wants a title match tonight. Dolph says he only fights superstars. And then you get a back and forth between Dolph and LA Knight. Ultimately, Dolph says that he only fights in the main event. And that's what we will get on NXT later that night. You have in the main event, Dolph Ziggler going against LA Knight for the NXT championship. After this, we have our first match of the night. Cameron Grimes going against Santos Escobar, who has Legado de Fantasma in his corner. The condition for this match is the winner gets into the ladder match at TakeOver, stand and deliver for the North American title match that's going to be in a five-man uh, matchup. Before the competitors do come out, though, Carmelo Hayes and Trick William come out, and they do the outsider's pose. You have Carmelo walking out like Scott, doing the surfer uh, and walk out, and then they do the pose. Scott Hall is uh, Carmelo Hayes does the Scott Hall pose, while Trick Williams does the Kevin Nash Diesel one arm behind uh, Mello. Again, nothing but respect from these young guys, this young generation of talent, because constantly paying respect to the veterans that paved the way for them. Um, they come out to do commentary for this matchup. Uh, Santos and Cameron Grimes, they have a good match back and forth, but Santos will win the match by pinfall when Cameron Grimes will go for the cave-in, but Santos would catch him in midair and hit the Phantom Driver for the win. Later that night, we would see Legado de Fantasma in a backstage interview, and you would see Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio walk up to them. 
Santos mentions how he's the greatest luchador in history. Dominic would say that, well, his father is the greatest luchador in history. So then ultimately we get uh, Raul Mendoza talking up for Santos Escobar behalf. And Dominic Mysterio says that he wants to have a match tonight. So we would get Dominic Mysterio going against Raul Mendoza later in the night. After this, we will have the NXT debut of a kid, the NXT UK's wrestler who's now when who's now trans over into Americans uh version of NXT, the actual NXT, going against Kashida, who has Ikamanjuro in his corner. A kid will win the match by pinfall when he hits the Rey Mysterio uh Moonsault DDT on Kushida for the win. It was announced during Cameron Grimes uh, going against Santos Escobar that Solo Sequoia will go against Roderick Strong and Grayson Waller will go against A-Kid and the winners of those matchups will be added to the ladder match for the NXT uh, North American Championship at Stand and Deliver. After this, we have Saray going against Tiffany Stratton. Tiffany attacks Saray backstage and beats her up and constantly beats her up as they're going to the ring. And this match is really short. Tiffany wins the matchup when she hits her uh, spinning splash on Saray for the win. It was cool. I didn't find nothing wrong with this. After this, we had Tommaso Ciampa come out for an in-ring promo. Tommaso comes out here. He's uh, looking somber, but he does like give a fist pound to the uh, audience. Once Tommaso gets in the ring, he talks about how he's out here to show gratitude. He talks about being in NXT since 2015, and he starts going through his whole timeline. He talks about he started out in DIY, then from there to Glorious uh, Bombs. Glorious Bombs were a thing on social media in 2016 of Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, and Bobby Roo whenever... Champa and Gargano would just happen to pop up and like as Bobby Roode was doing something, they would play the glorious song. And as soon as his glorious Bobby Roode would look at him. And then as soon as he hits the instruments, you see Bobby Roode like give his head nod to them. And it was it was a viral thing in 2016 for NXT. Just make it short for you. Then from the glorious bombs to the black heart where Tommaso turns his back on Gargano and the fans booing him. Then from that to being the greatest NXT champion, Tommaso is basically out here to thanks the fans for everything that they have done for him because he he's reveling in knowing that tomorrow is not granted, so he wants to show appreciation and gratitude to the fans and everybody that he can. And from this moment forward, he doesn't know where his career is headed from right now because he talked about how Two years ago, well, technically three, he dropped the title because he couldn't defend it at NXT TakeOver in New York, and he had an opportunity to right that wrong last week, but he failed at that, so right now he doesn't know where his career is basically headed. And as the fans are saying, thank you, Ciampa, and don't leave Ciampa, you see Tony D'Angelo somehow, somehow like pop up behind Ciampa, and Ciampa realizes that he turns around, he looks at Tony, and Tony's holding a crowbar. Tony throws the crowbar down, and he walks over to get a microphone. Tony tells Ciampa that he could have attacked him with the crowbar, but he has respect for Ciampa. Tony then talks about saying that he wants to be the man around here in NXT, and he has to fight 
the man to be the man in NXT. He wants to have that honor as stand and deliver. And he extends his hand out to Champa to shake it. Champa ends up shaking the hand, sealing the deal. So we get Tony D'Angelo going against Champa at stand and deliver. And as they're shaking hands, you see Tony knee Champa right in the nuts. And Champa now is slowly going down. And you see Tony grab Champa by the face. And he hits him with a godfather line. And he tells Champa, it was always you, Champa. And he kisses him on the cheek on the side. Again, if you don't know, you haven't been following the NXT product. Tony D'Angelo is supposed to be a character from that has mafia ties. So it plays into the whole stereotype of the Sopranos, the Godfather. That's the whole deal with uh, Tony D'Angelo. He's an entertaining character. After this, we have the matchup of Indy Hartwell going against Persia Parada. Indy will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Dexter Loomis and technically Duke Hudson because when Persia had Indy on her shoulders looking to hit her finish on her, you see Duke Hudson staring off with Dexter Loomis and this kind of freaked out uh, Persia. So Indy ended up getting off Persia's shoulders, rolling her up for the win. After the match, you would have both of the couples Persia Parada and Duke Hudson staring off with Indy Harwell and Dexter Loomis. And then you start seeing each couple have like a makeout session. And it seemed like a competition between both. It was very, very uh, soap opera-esque, if you will. After this, we had Raul Mendoza with Legado del Fantasma in his corner. Going against Dominic Mysterio, who had Rey Mysterio in his corner. Dominic will win the match by pinfall when Dominic will hit Raul Mendoza with the 619 to follow it up with a frog splash for the win. During the match, you have Fallon, Hinley, and Briggs and Jensen come out to even up the odds for Dominic. And at one point during the match as well, you had Rey Mysterio punching Santos Escobar in the face as well. So it it's starting to build to a Santos Escobar going against Rey Mysterio somewhere down the line, probably after Mania. Because Santos has been saying in interviews that he would have loved to have Rey Mysterio down there in NXT. And right now we're getting it. So I know we're going to get a Santos going against Rey Mysterio match. I just think it'll probably happen after Mania. But if not, we'll see it probably happen, what, probably two weeks from now, one week from now? I'm not sure, but I'm holding out for after Mania. After this, we will see Cora Jade in the parking lot with the NXT Women's Championship. Oh, yeah, side note, Cora Jade took all the Toxic Attractions belts. She took the NXT Women's Tag Team titles and the NXT Women's Championship. And basically, Toxic Attraction had to play a game of how to uh, basically find their championships. Uh, Cora J would hang one of the tag titles up, and then you see JC James like go over and grab her title. And then Cora J would lock her in and seal it off so that will basically... Uh, have JC in this one position at one spot. Then you'll see at next segment, you'll see um, the other NXT tag title, right? On a trash can. And Gigi Dolan had to climb into like the big trash can that like the big machines go over and flip over, grab her title. And then you see uh, Cora Jade with a forklift pushing the trash can lids on top of the trash can that is now concealing Gigi Dolan in. And they put the forklift metal uh, forks on the trash can to stop Gigi from getting out. So now with Cora thinking that she's taken out two-thirds of Toxic Attraction, it's only down to her and Mandy Rose, the NXT Women's Championship champion. 
So this leads to two Cora in the parking lot with the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, she was about to spray paint it, but stops herself from doing it and decides to take the championship for a ride because that's what she wants. She wants the NXT Championship. However, once she enters her car and cranks it up, Mandy Rose pops up from behind the back seat and attacks Cora Jade. She beats up Cora Jade, throws up, throws Cora Jade out of her car, continues to beat her up some more, throw her down onto the pavement, and basically gives Cora Jade her matchup at NXT Stand and Deliver for the NXT Women's Championship. Mandy then decides to take the spray paint can and spray paint Cora Jade's back. After this, we have the Creed Brothers come out now, and he calls out, well, and they call out whoever attacked them last week so they could fight them like men. They wait a little bit, and MSK music hits, and they come out, and they're wearing NWO shirts. MSK then talks about how they're innocent. They didn't attack the Kree brothers. If anything, they came out last week and tried to help the Kree brothers out because once they beat Imperium, they're going to give the Creeds a title shot at the NXT Tag Team titles. Kree brothers say, we beat you guys at the Dusty Classics in the finals. You guys cut the line. There are no line cutters no more. Nah, so now you get this big jaw jacket between MSK and the Kree brothers. Imperium comes out and tells both teams that both of them can't beat them. And ultimately, Imperium decides to make a triple threat match at Stand and Deliver for the NXT Tag Titles. MSK going against the Kree brothers, going against Imperium. And I see that we're going to have the crowning of a new tag team champions. The Kree brothers winning that. If not, we're going to have a heel MSK win those Tag titles. Again, the people are booing, now deciding to boo MSK. For a good minute, we had MSK being cheered, but I'll get to that in a minute. Now, we're on to the main event of NXT, and it's the NXT Championship. Dolph Ziggler going against LA Knight. Dolph will win the match by pinfall when he super kicks LA Knight in the face for the win. Yes, we had Robert Roode interfere in this matchup, but ultimately, it was the super kick that put LA Knight down. After the match, we would see Braun Breaker drive into the parking lot, get into the building, go to the ring, get a mic, and he challenges Dolph Ziggler for a rematch at Stand and Deliver for the NXT Championship. Dolph would raise up his NXT title and say, you got it, kid. So, we now have that match at Stand and Deliver, confirming it. And that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now onto AEW Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with a six-man tag team matchup. Adam Cole and Red Dragon going against Adam Page, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. Adam Cole wins the match for his team when the Red Dragon hit their finish, the high-low uh, combo. And then Adam Cole hits the boom, which again is a running knee to the back of Jungle Boy's head. And as Adam Cole was pinning Jungle Boy, Adam Page tries to like interrupt the pin, but Bobby Fish was able to hold him down. And during the pin, Adam Cole and Adam Page just stared at one another. And that was basically it's setting it up for Adam Cole to get another shot at Adam Page's uh, AEW World Championship. Because remember, Adam Cole said that he is not done with Adam Page. He wants to make Adam Page's uh, life a living hell until he is the new AEW World Champion. So that's where this is going to lead down the line. After this, we had a tag team matchup. Brian Danielson and John Moxley with William Regal, but Regal was on commentary for this matchup, going against the team of Wheeler Yuta, Chuck Taylor, and in their corner, they had the best friends, which were Trent Beretta, Danhausen, and Orange Cassidy. 
Um, Brian and Moxley will win the match by submission when Brian stomps on Yuta's head, tags in Moxley, and Moxley applies the bulldog choke on Yuta for the win. After the match, Regal will come down to the ring and get in the ring and talk to his guys. And as the best friends were outside regrouping, they were walking up the ramp. You see Yuta stop, and Orange Cassidy tries to like tap him on the shoulder, like, hey, come on. Yuta just stops right there. He looks at the best friends, and he looks back at the ring where Regal, Moxley, and Danielson are in the ring. He walks inside the ring, and he looks back at the best friends, and he... Yuta's making this decision. He wants to train with Danielson and Moxley and Regal because he wants to be the best professional wrestler. And Yuta extends his hand out to Regal. Regal has a smile on his face because he knows what Yuta's decision is. And he decides, instead of shaking Yuta's hand, he slaps him across the face the same way that he did at Revolution to Brian Danielson and Moxley. Yuta doesn't take it like Moxley and Danielson. Moxley and Danielson ain't getting Regal's face. Yuta does. Yuta gets in his face and he looks like he wants to do something. But Brian Danielson and Moxley walk up to the side of Regal and they just look at Yuta. And Regal tells Yuta, you need to ice yourself down and collect yourself. You're not ready for this. When it's time, trust me, you'll be ready. But you're not ready for this right now. And this is showing you that Yuta wants to be the best. He wants to be a better wrestler. He doesn't want to just be one of these guys that's on the roster that's just taking up space. Yeah, I'll be in a match here and there. No, he wants to be one of the best wrestlers, and that's what Brian Danielson was trying to do with. He tried to bring in Moxley. So now we're starting to see this big group come together of young prospects starting to get recruited by Regal, Danielson, and Mox. By the way, this match was to... Uh, showcase Yuta because Yuta took a lot of the punishment in this matchup from Moxley and Danielson and that's basically what this was this was this match culminated into the decision of Yuta wanting to uh, go with Moxley and Danielson that's all this match was if you really want to look at it uh, as a observation after this we had the Jericho Appreciation Society I hate that group name I swear to god I do they need to find a better name but until then Fine, we'll still roll with it. Uh, Jericho and his group come out here to talk about how great Chris Jericho is. Jericho mentions that he's been doing this for three decades, and we as fans and the wrestlers in the back are should be appreciative of living in a time that we are able to see Chris Jericho do this. Jericho talks about he has uh, been in like countless storylines, great moments in the ring, the, uh, gave us five-star matches, several of them. Great wrestling segments, yada, yada, yada. He's basically just patting himself on the back. And Jericho mentions that no one appreciates him. Not the fans, not the people in the back. Nobody appreciates him except the men that are in the ring with him right now. Jericho then decides to say that none of them appreciates Jericho because they're wrestlers. The boys in the back, they're wrestlers and nothing else. As a matter of fact, they're pro wrestlers, while I, on the other hand, am a sports entertainer, and this is getting the crowd to boo Jericho so much because AEW is literally the opposite of WWE. They don't want to call their wrestlers sports entertainers. WWE has their wrestlers as sports entertainers or superstars. AEW are known as straight-up professional wrestlers. They're wrestlers. That's why the fans are booing Jericho because Jericho is going along the side of he's a WWE sports entertainment type guy. He belongs on that uh bandwagon instead of the AEW pro wrestler 
bandwagon. And Daniel Garcia grabs the microphone away from Jericho and he says, if you're a sports entertainer, then I guess I am too. Remember, Daniel Garcia is one of the guys that uh, Brian Danielson wanted to bring into his group to train and to become a better professional wrestler. But since Daniel Garcia is now calling himself a sports entertainer, you can kind of kill that dead in the water. Jericho explains why all of these men are in the ring with him are now coming together as a group. He says that Daniel Garcia got in a car crash in 2019 with other groups of wrestlers and Jericho donated money to them. Uh, not anonymously. He didn't know who Garcia was at the time, but he just decided to uh, donate money to him. And Daniel Garcia is now coming back years later to show his appreciation towards Jericho. He talks about why 2.0 are now a part of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Why he teamed up with them is because KO, Kevin Owens, he says, my old best friend, Kevin, called me and said, get these two guys on the podcast and hopefully they can get a job because they just got fired from their old job, a.k.a. WWE. I didn't like that Jericho dry snitched on Kevin Owens in this thing. He could have just said, somebody called me up and say, hey, can you get these guys on my podcast? And let the fans do that. Like, the fans will start poking around and be like, okay, who is he talking about his best friend? And people that know the business, that really know the, like, inner workings, like the inner circle, inner circle of best of wrestlers that are friends, they would be able to like, okay, Kevin Owens did that because he's the only one that got a close, like, knit with them. But, nah, we got homeboy dry snitching. I didn't like Jericho dry snitching on Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is still in the WWE uh, household. He's still underneath their umbrella. And I don't know what they would do with knowing that Kevin Owens is talking to Jericho and all this stuff and yada, yada, yada. I don't like that whole idea. I just don't like any idea of Jericho, not Jericho, but Owens basically getting punished for this. But hopefully it doesn't happen. Anyway, uh, he ends up giving 2.0 a new name, by the way. They're not going by Matt Lee and Jeff Parker anymore. They're now going by their new sports entertainer names, Daddy Magic, Matt Menard, and Cool Hand Angelo Parker. I'll let that breathe for a second. Those were stupid nicknames, but again, they're going around the sports entertainer aspect of it. So, hey, that is what it is. And they make their mention statement known pretty clear. They're here to beat up pro wrestlers because they are sports entertainers. All right, cool, whatever. We'll see what Santana and Ortiz and Kingston have to do with this. And also Sammy Guevara, too, because it seems like Sammy's going to be joining up with uh, Kingston and Ortiz and uh, Santana because during that entering promo, Jericho talked about how Sammy left him and he didn't appreciate him. So just off that little nugget, it seems that uh, Kingston and Santana and Ortiz are going to be needing Guevara to be going against the Jericho Appreciation Society. Anyway. After this, we have the TNT Championship matchup. Warlow going against the new champion, Scorpio Sky, and who has in his corner Dan Lamberg, Paige Van Zandt, and her husband. I'm sorry, I do not know his name. They said it on commentary, but I just don't remember his name. Scorpio Sky will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Sean Spears and an interference by MJF. Warlow technically had the match won when he powerbombed Scorpio Sky four times, and he was about to look to hit him with the fifth powerbomb, but Dan Lambert got on the ring apron and distracted the referee. This allowed Scorpio Sky to roll out of the ring. Warlow followed behind him. He grabbed Sky up, about to pick him up for another powerbomb and hit him on the ring apron, but Warlow saw Sean Spears come walking down the ramp. 
The ref will get out of the ring and walk up to Sean Spears and tell him not to get involved. And when this happened, you see MGF pop out of nowhere and push Warlow into the ring post. This happened to make Warlow unconscious and kind of like lose his train of thought. He's not all the way there. And so you see him just try to get in the ring and he's holding his head. He's not still not all the way there. And this allows Scorpio Sky to roll up Warlow for the win. After the match, you see Paige Van Zandt's husband get in the ring and start pounding on Warlow. MGF gets in the ring. He tells Scorpio Sky and Paige's husband to hold up Warlow. And they do this for Sean Spears to hit Warlow with a steel chair, but Warlow kicks Sean Spears in the face. He forearms both Sky and Paige's husband, and now it just leaves Warlow with MGF. MGF notices this. Fans are cheering for Warlow to get their hands on MJF, but he does, however, you know what it is, pro wrestling is not that easy. Warlow has his hands on MJF, but Sean Spears cracks Warlow in the back with a steel chair. He does it twice. Warlow drops to his knees. You see Paige, husband, get back in the ring and apply a sleeper hold on Warlow. And ultimately, you see Sean Spears hit Warlow in the head with a steel chair. You see MJF hand money off to Dan Lambert for helping set up this coup. And MJF hits Warlow in the head with the dynamite diamond ring. And as they're leaving and going to commercial, you see MJF stand over Warlow and basically tell him, you decided your fate. And this goes back to the dog collar match at Revolution whenever Warlow didn't help out MJF and he didn't give him the dynamite diamond ring to end off CM Punk. So. We'll see where this heads. And also, we didn't get Brian Cage tonight. Uh, it was speculated for a long... It was speculated even by me that we will get uh, Brian Cage to, uh, like, resurfaced back since he's been off of AEW television for months now and be, like, on the side of MGF and be his new bodyguard. That didn't happen this week. It's still not saying it won't happen, but it just didn't happen this week. After this, we had the private party going against... The Hardys. This was Jeff Hardy's AEW debut matchup. And you know what it is. The Hardys win the match by pinfall when the Hardys hit a double twist of fate. And Jeff Hardy hits the Swanton Bomb on Isaiah Cassidy for the win. After the match, you see Andrade, the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny. Also, Jose, uh, Andrade's assistant, come down to the ring and surround the ring. And the only people inside the ring are the Hardys. The Hardys at this point are outnumbered. Until Sting and Darby Allen come down and they rush into the ring. So now you got the Hardys, Sting, and Darby Allen in the ring. And still surrounding them are Andrade and his group. But Andrade calls his group back and they start walking back up the ramp. So cooler heads prevail and nobody got jumped or there was no big brawl after this. After this matchup, it's now time for the main event. The Steel Cage matchup for the AEW Women's Championship. Thunder Rosa going against Britt Baker. Thunder Rosa will win the match by pinfall when she hits the Thunder Driver on Britt on thumbtacks for the win. During this match, you have both women bleeding. They use thumbtacks and a lot of steel chairs in this. And you have Britt Baker also paying tribute to Scott Hall and her uh, attire that she wore. There was a lot of uh, miscommunication throughout this matchup. And a whole lot of things didn't look good. I mean, I like how AEW opened up the steel cage to make to basically have this matchup basically almost be a hell in a cell just without the top 
covering like in a hell in a cell they have the wrestlers fighting inside the ring the cage is on the outside of the ring which means that they can get outside of the ring and still walk and get things from underneath the ring and all this type of stuff and they have a lid on top of their cage that's a hell in a cell but for AEW in a regular steel cage you usually have the cage literally press up against the ring and they cannot get out of the ring to get underneath uh, like the ring apron and grab steel chairs or any of that type of nature. The only type of weapon that they could use is literally the cage itself. This, no. They extended that out. The women were able to get outside the cage, go underneath the ring and grab weapons and all that type of stuff. Cool with that, but just some of the things didn't look like polished as it should have been. But again, these ladies are working on pure adrenaline. They got to hit their stuff. They got to make sure things go as it's supposed to. I'm not going to completely like crap on it or boo-boo on this matchup. This match was still fine. I just wish certain things were tightened up in this match because me as a fan, I was able to see it. And I was like, all right, you guys are kind of messing up on this. And Ooh, you guys kind of messed up on that. Like I can see it, but it's not like, oh my God, like it's unforgivable. No, it just needed a little bit tightened up, but it's still... Great matchup, and I understood where they were going with this. It's almost a whole full year when uh, Dynamite had their episode this week. It was on the 16th, and last year, whenever Britt and Thunder Rosa had their Lights Out matchup on St. Patrick's Day Slam, it was the 17th. They were literally almost, they were literally one day apiece a year later from literally almost having that matchup on the exact same day if they just would have postponed it dynamite onto a Thursday night this year. But they didn't, so technically not really a whole year later, but you get the drift. They still went on Saturday, not Saturday, but uh St. Patrick's Day Slam to St. Patrick's Day Slam, telling the same exact story. Thunder Rosa getting the win over Britt Baker, but this time it's for the AEW Women's Championship. And it was a good story. Now I just want to see who Thunder Rosa is going to go against first. That's all I care about now because we got the title off of Britt. Britt had a Young Bucks type of run. And uh, we'll just see who Thunder Rose's first opponent is. Anyway, that was AEW Dynamite. Good show. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a farewell uh, photo to Scott Hall. They say uh, rest in peace as well. Scott Hall was in Impact Wrestling or TNA back in his time when he was there in 2003. And later, like in 2010 as well, for a short brief time, both stints, but he was a part of Impact in TNA. So that's the reason why they said uh, farewell to the bad guy, Scott Hall, this week on their front logo. Um, Before I get into the well, results of what happened on Impact, they do announce that next week on Impact, there will be two title matches. The Impact tag titles will be on the lines when the Good Brothers will go against Violence by Design in a lumberjack match, as well as there will be a knockout championship matchup between Mickey James and Tasha Steeles in a street fight. Now, the first match to happen on Impact was a tag team matchup of the Bullet Club, Jay White and Chris Bay going against the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. The Motor City Machine Guns would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finish, the Skull and Bones, which is a neck breaker and crossbody splash. A combination on Chris Bay for the win. There was controversy at the final count, though, because once the Motor City Machine Guns hit the finish and Saban pinned Chris Bay, and as the referee was 
hitting his hand on the three count. Jay White slid in the ring and tried to break up the pin, but the referee countered the three, and the final judgment was the Motor City Machine Guns did win the matchup. That was a kind of a snafu. Um, yeah, it wasn't planned. This was not meant to happen, but the original plan was always for the Motor City Machine Guns to win. It's just that it happened uh, not quickly because the match did hold off for a good bit, but it just happened uh, quicker than the time that they destined it to happen. After this, we have Steve Macklin going against Rhino. Steve Macklin would win the match by pinfall when he hits Rhino with the spear for the win. Yes, Steve Macklin would taunt Rhino and hit him with the spear, or in Rhino's word, a gore for the win. After this, we will have Larry D going against Bupinder Gujir. Bupinder Gujir will win the match by pinfall when he hits Larry D with a corner spear for the win. So far, Gujir is on a streak so far in Impact. Nobody has beaten him. And I would like to see where they're going with this. Um, during the matchup, we had Brian Myers on commentary. And after the match, we had Brian Myers basically leave his commentary table because W. Morrissey was coming out to go after Myers because Myers has been a pain in Morrissey's side for a good bit. But once Myers left the commentary table, Morrissey just basically stood there. Raj Singh was out for this matchup as well, and Raj Singh, after the match, tried to hold up uh, Gujir's hand, but Gujir constantly is not trying to be in no affiliates with Singh, so he pushes him off, and Singh basically rolls out of the ring, and he backs into Morrissey. Singh knows what's about to happen, so he turns around slowly. He looks at Morrissey. He tells him, hey, man, I have nothing to do with that. I'm good. We're good. Morrissey gives him like the hands like, no, I'm not going to do nothing, but Morrissey does uh, knee him in the gut and then lift him up with a power bomb and power bombs him through the table. So, uh, Singh is not having a good time on impact. Let me just put it like that. After this, we have the triple threat match for the Reina de Reina's AAA Women's Championship and also the Ring of Honor Women's Championship as well. Deanna Peraza putting both of the belts up against Giselle Shaw and Lady Frost. Deanna will win the match by pinfall when she sneaks in after Lady Frost hits a blockbuster on Shaw. And then Deanna will sneak in, hit Frost with the Queen's Gambit, which is a gotch-style pile driver, for the win to retain both of her championships. And speaking of the Ring of Honor Women's Championship, uh, former Ring of Honor Women's Champion Roxy has signed with the WWE, so I want to congratulate Roxy as well. She is a former student of Booker T's Reality of Wrestling, and also I want to give out another congratulations to uh, Booker T for his wife, Charmel, to be going into the WWE Hall of Fame this year. And that's a good thing because you can't have Booker T in the Hall of Fame and not have his wife, Queen Charmel. Queen Charmel was a good package deal with the whole King Booker uh, situation. So if anybody disagrees with Charmel being in WWE, too bad. So sad, she's in. Uh, after this, we have Jonah going against Zicky Dice. Jonah would win the match by pinfall when he hits the tsunami on Zicky Dice for the win. It was a quick match. I mean, he clotheslined Zicky behind the head. Then went up for the tsunami. After the match, Jonah would throw Zicky out of the ring, and he stands there and with his arm up. Then you hear Honor No More's music hits, and you see Jonah turn towards the entrance, and you see the paramedics come out, and you see them rush a person out on a stretcher on the stage, and it's PCO. And PCO gets off the stretcher and starts walking towards the ring. PCO gets in the ring and gets face-to-face -face with Jonah. They start throwing punches. It's two big 
behemoths just constantly just throwing punches at each other, and they're brawling in the ring. They continue to do this until referees and security rush to the ring to separate them. Uh, they were able to get Jordan out of the ring. However, PCO broke away from his people, and then he goes up to the top turnbuckle and jumps off onto the guys that were holding Jonah back. He doesn't hit Jonah. Jonah was able to walk away as he saw PCO jump. So Jonah is now at the top of the interstage stage with a frightened face because PCO is something Jonah has never dealt with because Jonah thought he took care of PCO at the pay-per-view, but that didn't seem to happen. He thought he literally took out PCO, but PCO is here and he's alive and well. After this, we will have Masha Slamovich going against a female competitor named Ari. Ari was another victim to Masha Slamovich. Masha will win the match by pinfall when she hits the snowplow, which is a Northern Lights driver for the win. Another quick match for Masha. I don't know what they're trying to do with Masha. I think they're trying to give her as much wins and rack it up so much until she goes against a credible uh, knockout in the division. I don't know who that person will be, the first person will be, but I can't wait to uh, see it. After this, now it's time for the main event. Matt Taven with Maria Kanellis in his corner going against Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander would win the match by pinfall when he hits a superplex, then holds on to Matt Taven and follows it up with a C4 spike for the win. This was a nice, good back and forth between Taven and Josh Alexander, but Josh is on the path to facing Moose at Rebellion, so Josh got the win. After the match, you would see a video playing of Moose pulling up to a house because Moose had until the end of the night to sign the contract to face Josh Alexander for the Impact title at Rebellion. If he did not, he would be stripped of the Impact title. So you see Moose pull up to a house. He rings a bell. And once you see the person answering the door, you realize that it's Josh Alexander's wife. She answers the door. Moose walks into their home. And he ends up handing Josh's wife the Rebellion contract and tells her to deliver it to the Anthem office in the morning. Josh's son is holding on to his uh, mother's leg because he is scared. Moose sees this and says hello to the kid and says that he's a friend of his dad's at work. So this is now adding more flames or as people would say, more gasoline to the fire because Josh Alexander is already not liking Moose not, well, being the world champion, one. And two, the way that Moose beat him at Bound for Glory is another reason why he doesn't like Moose. So him just agitating Alexander more by doing this is not going to be a good thing for Moose, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen with Alexander and Moose next week on Impact, because more or less, it's more going to happen with Josh getting and trying to find Moose. Scott DeMore is probably going to tell him, don't you do it. You got to wait until you get to Rebellion. You know, there'll be a no-touch clause between these two guys. That's more or less, I see this is going that way, but we'll have to see uh, next week's Impact. But again, Impact was a good it was a good watch. Now on to SmackDown. SmackDown uh, opens up with the Bloodline in-ring promo. Roman would talk about how tonight is going to be the first night that he will see Brock since he put a beating on him at Madison Square Garden. Roman will continue to talk, and then Paul has to interrupt Roman and let him know that Brock had a plane issue and he won't be here tonight. Roman looks at Paul, and then he starts looking down, and then he hears the fans chant that they want Brock, they want Brock. Roman tells him, hey, I wanted Brock too. 
and says, you know what, this isn't a plain uh, problem. This is a business decision by Brock because he's afraid of Roman. He's afraid of me. He's afraid of being smashed by me again. And then you see Paul try to interrupt Roman, and Roman tells him, no, 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 no. I I got it. You got you gave me the message. Thank you. Nobody wants to hear from you, man. They all paid to see me. They paid to hear from me. Paul is constantly trying to interrupt Roman. Roman has to stop and look at Paul and says, okay, what? Paul says, uh, Brock is Brock's plane has landed and he's on the way here. Roman looks at Paul and said, Hold on, I thought you just said that his plane wasn't gonna be here. Paul says, I know, but his plane has landed and he's on the way here. What do we do? So Roman quickly says, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to dip out of here. You go ahead and wrap this up. So you see the Usos and Roman run out of the ring. Paul scurries out of the ring right behind him. And then you start hearing Paul just straight up say, I thought his plan wasn't going to be here, but apparently he's going to be here. It's here and he's on the way. And Roman just constantly said, how do you know this stuff? So now you got... Roman constantly not happy. Then the next thing you see is Roman and Bloodline in the parking lot. They get to their vehicle, and then they hear a long, big old honk. And then the cameras pan over to Brock and a forklift driving over to the Bloodline's vehicle. Brock happens to get the forklift inside the Bloodline's vehicle by smashing the forks through uh, the Bloodline's windows. And then he starts lifting up the vehicle, and he ends up flipping it on its side. So now you see their car flipped onto the side. The next camera like, shot that you see is you see the bloodline out of the vehicle. You see them running over to another vehicle. This time it's a truck. And you see them get inside the truck. And Brock sees this. So Brock runs over to the truck. And he tries to pull uh, Jimmy out of the car. But he was no avail. Roman drives the truck off, but Brock was able to pull one of the truck doors off, and that's where we're ending up now. The bloodline leave the arena, and Brock decides to take that truck door down to the ring. So now we get a Brock Lesnar in-ring promo. The main message of this is that Brock says that Roman has unleashed a bipolar beast, and in two weeks, he's going to beat him up. Brock says that he will see Roman at Mania. So... This tells me that, okay, we're going to see Brock and Roman, obviously that, but I'm not sure if we're going to see Brock next week on SmackDown, or is he basically saying, this is the last time you're going to see me until Mania. Either way, I'm cool with it. If this is the last time that we see Brock until Mania, I'm glad it was, this was the last message that you see, because you see a pissed off Brock Lesnar ready to tear up something. Let this be the last image that we see of Brock until Mania. That's what I would do. But this is WWE and this is their creation. We'll just have to see what happens. After this, we have a tag team matchup. Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura going against Los Lotharios. Rick Boogs and Nakamura will win the match by pinfall. And Rick hits the Boogs cruise on Humberto Carrillo for the win. After this, we have our six-man tag matchup that we were supposed to have last week. Drew McIntyre and the Viking Raiders going against Happy Corbett and Jinder Mahal and Shanky with Mad Cat Moss in their corner. Drew and the Viking Raiders will win the match by pinfall when Drew hits the Claymore on Shanky for the win. And after the match, you see Drew look at Corbin. So this playing up to their WrestleMania match, they're going to happen. They're going to have a Mania. And I'm cool with it. Yeah, sure. Drew's having a match of Mania. Corbin's getting a match of Mania. Cool, fine. But I just hope that's good. 
After this, we have a tag matchup. Sasha Banks and Naomi going against Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan. Carmella and Queen Selena Vega are at ringside for this matchup. The match ends in a no contest when the ladies in the ring hit the Tower of Doom, and this knocks out all four of them. And then you see Natalia and Shayna Baszler come into the ring and start attacking all four of these ladies. Liv and Rhea get taken out, but Naomi and Sasha were able to hold their own against Natalia and Baszler until Carmella and Selena come in and start attacking them. Once that happens, you see Naomi and Sasha laid out, and the last four women standing in the ring were Natalia, Shayna, Carmella, and Selena. And you see Carmella and Selena hold up their women's tag titles, and you see Natalia and Shayna just look at them, and you start seeing Shayna tell them to shine up the belts and keep them nice. And we would get a backstage situation when Natalia and Shayna Baszler will walk backstage. They see Sonya Deville. They think they're about to get chewed out, but Sonya lets them know that she liked what she saw and that they have been added to the women's tag title match at WrestleMania. So now it seems it's going to be a fatal four-way for the women's tag titles. Uh, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, one team going against a team of Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan, going against a team of Naomi and Sasha Banks, going against the women's tag champions, Selena Vega and Carmella. And I believe that's on WrestleMania Sunday night. After this, we have a Pat McAfee in-ring promo because earlier in the program, Pat was told by Michael Cole that he had to apologize to Austin Theory because if he doesn't, he might lose his WrestleMania match or he might even lose his job here at WWE. Pat was then called to Vince McMahon's office. So we see Pat walk into the office. We see Pat leave the office. We don't ever see what happened inside the office, and then that's where we end up now, Pat inside the ring. Pat was told by Mr. McMahon that he had to apologize to Austin Theory, so Pat's out here. He talks about uh, when he was little, he would be watching wrestling, and that changed his life. He knew that he wanted to do this, but other things got in the way. And he says once football, well, once he got retired from football, he got a call from Mike Cole, and Cole asked him if he wanted to work for the WWE as a commentator. Then you see Pat McAfee said that he jumped on that quickly, and then Austin Theory would interrupt and come out. Theory would get in the ring, and he's waiting for Pat to apologize. Pat does the I'm suck, and then he stops. He goes to try to say I'm suck, and then he stops again. And then you see Pat McAfee says, I'm sorry for putting the beating on you last week. I'm sorry for beating you up, you filter face douche. He starts calling Austin Theory a whole lot of names, and Theory ultimately pushes Pat McAvee and says that he apologized. So Pat is still going to get his match with Theory at WrestleMania. After this, we would get the matchup of Kofi Kingston going against Ridge Holland with Sheamus and Butch, a.k.a. Pete Dunne, in Ridge Holland's corner. And I want to preface this. Uh, Biggie is injured. He has a broken neck. He, it's nothing like surgery-wise. He was updating everybody on Twitter last Friday and this week. He's been uh, letting people know that he surgery that his neck doesn't require surgery. So that's a good thing for Biggie. But Biggie has been uh, updating people. I just want to wish Biggie a nice, speedy recovery. I'm sorry I did not. Uh, say that last week, I wasn't informed that he broke his neck until literally after, like, on a Sunday, and I saw it, I was like, oh, snap, he broke his neck, and 
I saw how he did. I was like, oh, that was that was trash. So again, ladies and gentlemen, if you watch professional wrestling, you watch WWE, AEW, anything on the independence, MLW, whatever you want to call it, professional wrestling, just know, yes, it is predetermined. But those bumps, those falls, those suplexes, those slams, they hurt. And one wrong move could injure somebody. AKA in this instance, Biggie, I do wish him a nice speedy recovery, not too fast because you got to let your bones and all that stuff kind of heal up. Uh, but again, a good recovery. Anyway, now to the match of Kofi going against Ridge. Ridge will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Butch. The ref had thrown Sheamus and Butch to the back, but once that happened, they didn't go to the back. They stopped in the middle of the ramp and looked at the ring. Kofi saw Sheamus's cane that he walks around with, and he saw that Sheamus left it, so Kofi decided to pick it up and throw it at Sheamus. This made Pete Dunn, Butch, angry, and he started to run back to the ring, and this distracts Kofi and the ref. This allowed Ridge to grab Kofi and hit him with the Northern Grit, Northern Lights driver, for the win. After this, is time for the main event promo, Charlotte Flair, in-ring promo. Charlotte talks about how she beat up Ronda Rousey last week. Charlotte mentioned how refs and producers had to pull her off of Ronda after putting Ronda through hell last week. Charlotte begins to say that her legacy is bigger than Ronda's. Charlotte begins to say that Ronda doesn't have the passion to do this and starts calling out Ronda Rousey to come out to fight. Ronda comes out, but it was a trap because Charlotte had a Kindle stick hidden in the steel steps, but that didn't matter for Ronda because once Charlotte tried to hit Ronda with a Kindle stick, she missed. Then you saw Ronda kick Charlotte in the gut, and then you started seeing them brawl. Charlotte does land a punch on Ronda in the face, matter of fact, the mouth region, and then you start seeing like some blood in the mouth of Ronda Rousey. Not a lot of blood, but just certain blood. Uh, they end up fighting on the outside. You see Ronda throw Charlotte into the ring post. And then you see Charlotte, like, kick uh, Ronda. But Ronda catches the kick and turns it into an ankle lock. So as this is happening, you see Charlotte trying to move over to the timekeeper area. She does so, and she ends up grabbing a hidden kindle stick and whacks Ronda with it. This allows Ronda to let go of the ankle lock. And then you see Charlotte start choking Ronda with the kendo stick. And then finally, to end off SmackDown, you see uh, Charlotte powerbomb Ronda Rousey through the announcer's table. And you see Charlotte put her foot on Ronda Rousey's uh, chest. Um, This is more than like leading up to a submission match at Mania because they both talking about making each other submit and tap out. So I can see this turning into a submission match at Mania. I hope that's where this is headed to. Personally, because I don't think we've seen a submission match at Mania ever. I think what? I think the last submission match at Mania was legitimately Kurt and Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 17. I believe that was a submission match. If it wasn't, they were both submission specialists, so you could say that it was a submission match. But nevertheless, I see that's where we're headed with this. And if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with that happening, with that being the stipulation for that matchup. But we'll have to see. SmackDown was a good watch. Nothing bad to see it, or nothing bad for me to say about it. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Before I get to that, I also want to add that 
Vader was well is going to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame as well. It's just a sad shame that he uh, passed away a couple years ago, and now WWE wants to put him in the Hall of Fame after he was championing himself to be in the Hall of Fame, but WWE didn't want to do it. So again, I'm glad that Vader's in it, but it's just so sad that he had to pass away first before WWE actually put him in. And also, Tony Khan has signed the Briscoes to go against FTR at Supercard of Honor on April the 1st. So that will be for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. This is the first time the FTR and the Briscoes will be doing battle, and it's on the Ring of Honor, uh, their Supercard of Honor card. I just wish that it was on AEW, but we will have to see if the Briscoes ever do make it to AEW. Let's hope that they do. Now to AEW Rampage. Um, the first match of the night is Darby Allen with Sting in his corner going against the Butcher, who has the blade and the bunny in his corner. Darby will win the match by knock, well, count out when the Butcher and Darby were fighting on the outside of the ring, and Darby was able to hit the coffin drop. And once he does that, he's able to roll back into the ring at the count of eight, but the Butcher could not. I mean, a good portion of this match was inside the ring but then once it got outside of the ring they spent a lot of time on the outside of the ring at one point you saw the butcher uh swing darby to the um in a power bomb position to the ring uh guardrail constantly but darby was able to overcome that and still beat the butcher after the match you see the andrade family office the private party uh blade butcher and andrade come into the ring and attack both Darby and Sting. They continue to do this until the Hardys come and down to the ring and make the save. Once they do that, Andrade and his people leave the ring and they run off uh, out of there. But Matt Hardy will get a microphone and challenge the AFO to an eight-man Texas Tornado tag match on Dynamite. So it'll be the Hardys and Sting and Darby Allen going against Private Party, Butcher and the Blade. So that's a match to expect on Dynamite this upcoming Wednesday. After this, we had Layla Hirsch going against Red Velvet. Red Velvet would win the match by pinfall with help from Chris Statlander. Um, this happened once Layla Hirsch was on the outside of the ring, and she went underneath the ring to grab a metal ring post the same way that she did on the Revolution uh, pre-show when she went against uh, Chris Statlander. She went back into the ring as the referee was looking at Red Velvet. She was going to hit Red Velvet with it, but Chris Statlander rushed down to the ring, grabbed the uh, metal ring post from Layla Hirsch, and this allowed Red Velvet to roll up Layla and hit a corkscrew kick to the head of Layla Hirsch and pin her for the win. Chris Statlander came down not in her colorful gear. She's now like wearing all black gear, but like with the black like lightning uh, bolts down her eye like uh, David Bowie. Um, it's not her colorful look. She started to make that transformation on this past episode's Dynamite and wanted to... Uh, video packages. So now we're going to see a, I believe a darker side of Chris Statlander. I don't know what that entails, but I'm interested in this. Um, after this, we had a six man tag match, the house of black Malachi black Brody King and buddy Matthews going against the team of Fuego del Sol bear country. You already know who won this house of black won this easily by pinfall when buddy Matthews hit Fuego del Sol with Murphy's law for the win. Um, there's no more need to be said about this. House of Black has a real cool entrance. I mean, they come down in unison. I mean, the whole uh, presentation of their entrance is great. I think they need to work a little bit more 
on the in-ring of chemistry, again, this team just got put together. Brody King and uh, Malachi Black, they work on the independence, more specifically PWG together as a tag team. But Buddy Matthews, uh, this incorporation of these three together, they need to work a little bit more in the ring as a unit to really perfect their uh, team combinations together. I feel once they have it patented down, House of Black will be a dangerous force in AEW. Now it's time for the main event, a rampage. Keith Lee going against Max Caster, who has Anthony Bones in his corner. Keith Lee wins the match by pinfall when he hits Max with the Big Bang Catastrophe for the win. After the match, you see Keith Lee look at the commentary table, and on commentary is Ricky Starks, but behind him is Powerhouse Hobbs. If you remember last week on Rampage, Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks beat up on Keith Lee, so Lee remembers this. He looks at them, and this upsets Hobbs enough to the point that he rushes down to the ring, and he starts attacking Keith Lee. Ricky Starks will leave the commentary table and join Hobbs and start beating up on Lee, and then the Acclaim would do so as well. So now it's a four-on-one beatdown. They throw him into the ring continuously to uh, beat down on Lee until Swerve Strickland comes down to the ring with a steel chair and basically sends Powerhouse, Starks, and the Acclaim running. And you see those four guys on the ring, uh, ring not the ring ramp, but the ramp. And you see Swerve and Lee in the ring. So it seems to me that Swerve and Lee are an alliance right now to get rid of Starks, Hobbs, and the Acclaim. And it seems that the Acclaim and Starks and Hobbs are going to be in an alliance themselves. That seems like a cool alliance to see. I would like to see that. So hopefully they continue on with this. And um, they do announce that AEW Rampage will be going back to 10 o'clock on uh, Eastern time for people on the East Coast. Not this 11.30, 12 o'clock crap that they did for this uh, March Madness. So next week on AEW Rampage, no need to fear. As soon as SmackDown is done with, you can go over to TNT and watch your AEW Rampage as regularly scheduled before. Rampage was a good show. If you could find it, I would say watch it. You're not going to... It's a quick... 40 minutes without the commercials. If you fast forward through it, it was a good uh, watch. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Hey, yo. That is (laughs) the first thing that you would think about when you see Scott Hall. That, well, on his promo style, he always would start with a, hey, yo, in WCW. But for me, personally, I did not get to see the primetime Scott Hall that everybody seems to, like, memorize with Scott Hall. I got to see him, I got to see, like, that Scott Hall after I did research about him years, and I mean years ago, but my first introduction to Scott Hall was Scott Hall in WWF in 2002. And that was only for a short period of time because he was with WWF for, what, three months? And then he was out of there. And I wouldn't see Scott Hall again until my mother brought me to, not brought me, but, like, showed me Impact whenever Impact Wrestling, TNA was still weekly televised as Impact. And it was the upcoming, their first pay-per-view ever 
that like their big first like national pay-per-view of Jeff Jarrett going against Jeff Hardy for the NWA World Championship in a ladder match. And you would see them bringing up hype, like promo packages of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash saying that they'll be there to watch Jeff's back, but you didn't know which Jeff it was going to be. Ultimately, the swerve was they watched Jeff Jarrett's back to become the Kings of Wrestling. I got to see the later version of Scott Hall. Not the prime time Razor Ramon, the Chico, the man with so much drip, Scott Hall. I got to see the older version. Let's not get it twisted. Scott Hall still was able to get it done in the ring, but he wasn't able to get it as crisp and pristine as he would a was able to do back in 1992 all the way to, what, 98, 99? But me being me, I did the research. I looked back at it and... Once you look back at what Scott Hall was able to do in the ring, you could tell that he was meant for greatness in the professional wrestling business. Scott Hall is one of the people that people are going to name that should have been world champions. When you think it's world champions and they should have, could have been, you're always going to say Rick Rude. You're going to say Mr. Perfect. You're going to say Owen Hart. You're going to say Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. Scott Hall was literally, out of all those four guys that you could say that I just named, he was the legit closest one I feel that when you watch back the old WWF stuff, you're really going to say, why on God's green did they not give him the title? Yes, the Intercontinental title looked great around his waist, but you're going to really look at it and say, how did they miss the boat on Razor, but they got the boat on Diesel? When Razor was able to do a whole lot of stuff in the ring, and that's not me crapping on Scott, not Scott, but Kevin Nash, because I like Kevin Nash and I love the Diesel character. It's not get a twisted cool guy. He's basically just he's another vert. Roman is basically Diesel, but he can move around. He's a smaller, like bigger vert, like muscled up version of Diesel. If you're gonna be honest, look back at the Shield and look back at uh, Diesel when he came in with Shawn Michaels, the cool guy that just did. Didn't say much, and he just got in when he had to do something. That was Roman, legitimately. So, again, it's not me crapping on Kevin Nash, Diesel, however you want to say it whenever I said that. They missed the boat on Razor, but they got it on Diesel. I'm just trying to put a comparison because both of them had the cool factor. And if you think I'm tripping, I want you guys just to imagine this right now. To this day, and I mean to this day, as I'm saying this to you right now, have you ever seen a wrestler on national television come out with an escrow. Think about it. I, right now, and I got a big Rolodex of wrestlers. I've seen a lot of bald heads. I've seen a lot of fades. I've seen the do nah, the dreads. I've seen the braids. I've seen the uh, short hair. I've seen the long hair. I have not seen nobody come out since Scott Hall with an escrow. And Scott Hall made the escrow look fantastic on him. Are you kidding me? Nobody is able to pull off that sleekness and finesse. The only person that was able to, that was other than Scott to pull that off, was literally Xavier Woods this past SummerSlam when he paid tribute to guess who? Scott Hall in his wrestle in his uh, SummerSlam attire. If you don't believe me, look back at SummerSlam 2021. You see him come out with the big old like uh, spray bottle to spray both Miz and Morrison down. 
and you see him wearing a NWO Skyhawk-inspired attire, and he does the whole full bit. So I want to give a shout-out to Xavier Woods, too, because every time he does a attire or does a tribute, he goes the, he goes all out. So he does the hair, and I mean the attire. New Day's attire is always A1, by the way. I mean, piece of resistance. But Xavier went all out with the escrow as well. So he's the last wrestler besides Scott Hall to do the escrow, but he was paying tribute to Scott Hall. Scott was a cool-looking dude. Do you understand? And I looked at Twitter, and people tweeted out that they did not know that Scott Hall was a white dude impersonating a Cuban for the longest of time. And that was funny to me because, again, I didn't find out what until Scott Hall 2000. And two, and at that time, I knew he was a white dude. So when I looked back and saw him do the whole Chico stuff, I didn't find nothing wrong with it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. But I always knew he was a white dude. So it was funny to see people tweet that stuff out. I was like, oh, that's that's funny. That's hilarious. But Scott Hall was a cool dude. Look at his attire. His attire was clean. He wore a wrestling, like, cool vest with the razor Ramon on the back and with the razor and all that on the elbow pads, the knee pads, the trunks. I mean, his whole presentation was smooth and cool. And then transform over to WCW. The first night that he goes over to WCW after leaving WWF, he goes and he interrupts a wrestling match and guess what? He's out there in a jean combination, a jean vest with no shirt and jeans and some boots. Still with the escrow, still with the slick back hair. He comes out still with the toothpick. He is just cool personified. You guys can try to say he wasn't, but boy, oh boy, I beg to differ. And a lot of people are going to beg to differ when you see Scott Hall. That man was cool Cool, cool. Him and Kevin Nash. Cool dudes. Speaking of, they created the NWO. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Hogan. Yes, Hogan's going to be a bad taste in the black community's mouth of the professional wrestling uh, community. Yes, Hogan has a bad taste in our mouth. But Scott Hall and Nash, not so much. They were the cool guys of the group. And boy, oh boy, how could you not like Hall and Nash, they were juvenile, they were, but they were cool and they were with a purpose. As a matter of fact, there is a video going around on YouTube and there's a GIF going around as well on Twitter of the NWO in the ring and you see them all like around as they would do pack mentality in the ring. You see Eric Bischoff, I believe, holding the mic and Scott Hall was talking into the mic and you see some doofus. You don't see him launch the drink, but you see a drink get thrown into the ring and it hits Scott Hall in the head. Scott Hall doesn't lose his mind. He doesn't curse out the fans. He doesn't do none of that. What does Scott do? He puts his hands in his hair, which already is slicked back. He slicks it back even more, messes around with the S curl, and he just flaunts it off like that drink did nothing. It just accentuated me looking cool. Scott was a cool professional wrestler. I can't even say he was a bad guy. He was really the true definition of a good guy just being cool. To be honest with you, 
People are going to say, well, he was a bad guy by nature, by the character of Razor Ramon. Remember, say hello to the bad guy. I get it. I get it. But truly, when you see a bad guy that's too cool that you can't even boo, is he really a bad guy, though? Like, seriously, is he a bad guy? No. We're going to say that we like to do so. I don't consider him a bad guy. I like the moniker, say hello to the bad guy, but I... I don't see Scott as a bad guy. I just see him as one of the cool dudes that, hey, he does what he wants when he wants, and that's just what it was. And that's what the NWO was with Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Six. Sean Waltman. Boy, oh boy. I feel for Sean Waltman and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall's family and the clique. I, I feel for everybody right now. I didn't know... Scott passed until Monday Night Raw hit. I knew about him being put, taken off life support after Kevin Nash uh, wrote it down on his Instagram. And then, like, one of the people that I follow on Instagram, like, took that and, like, screenshotted it and put it up there. And I read it. I was like, no. So I waited until I heard something. Then when Raw posted up the image of Rest in Peace of Scott Hall, I said, no. I said with a big loud, no. And then I started quickly Googling, YouTubing, like Twitter. I quickly, and then it was reported by uh, either Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful or Ryan Satin. One of the two said that they got confirmation from WWE. And they said, yeah, he's passed. And I was devastated at that moment. And I just couldn't, I, I, I was sad. I was sad because that's crazy that he lost his life and Scott Hall is gone. And I was more devastated for his family. And I was a lot devastated as a wrestling fan to the click, but more specifically, Kevin Nash and X-Pac. Because you would see Kevin Nash with Scott or Sean, with, Sean Waltman, X-Pac with Scott Hall. If you saw Scott Hall, he was with one of those two, or you'll see all three of them together. Legitimately, that's how it was. You might say, Gerald, you should feel sad for... What about Shawn Michaels and Triple H? I feel sad for them, too. They're the clique. Those five guys literally took over wrestling in the late 90s. You had Scott, X, and Nash take over WCW with the NWO. And then you had Shawn and Triple H take over WWE in with the D-Generation X situation, the beginning of DX. And then when X-Pac... Got fired from WCW. Where did he go? He went back to WWF. He joined Triple H where Sean was injured. And he went home. And then you still had DX taking over WWE. And NWO with Nash and Hall taking over WWF, uh, WCW. It was still the click running all the professional wrestling. But the thing is with this though. I feel more sad for Nash and... X because they were around Scott a lot. Triple H and Shawn Michaels, they have jobs in WWE. They work at the Performance Center. Triple H handles stuff at the office. I mean, they're too busy while Scott and Nash and X, they can easily just go to a uh, signing and be together at a, at a convention signing some stuff. Or they can just easily go about their time and just easily just hang around and pal around with each other. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, they can't do that with them because they have a job at WWE. So 
I'm not sure if they called each other. They probably did call each other. They probably call each other all the time. Probably they're calling each other right now because they're all needing the support of each other. But again, anytime you saw Scott Hall, it, it, he was either with Nash or uh, X-Pac or vice versa. That's the reason why I feel sad for Nash and Sean Wallman because they were with Scott Hall a lot in WCW. And then when they left and then all that stuff happened. They they were with him a lot. I just I just feel for Scott Hall's family. I feel for Shawn Michaels. I feel for Triple H. I feel for Sean Waltman. I feel for Kevin Nash. They lost a best friend. Kevin Nash put it out there on Instagram, point blank. Yo, I'm losing my best friend. I lost a person that I've spent majority of my time on this earth with. He's losing his buddy. He's losing his bulldog. He's losing his ride or die friend, a guy that he literally went to bat for every single time. Whenever Scott was in a bad state, Nash would never allow somebody to talk bad about Scott. Nash talked about it on many shoot interviews, talked about how WCW would try to have him say something bad about Scott Hall, and he would never, if anything, he would switch it up and say something bad about WCW and mention Scott Hall in a good favorable light. And then there's the infamous... Uh, Samoa Joe situation in TNA when Samoa Joe said something and Kevin Nash didn't like it and you see and you hear about it from Kevin Nash he said that he slapped uh, Samoa Joe across the head for saying something bad about Scott Hall when Scott couldn't make it to a pay-per-view event and Samoa Joe just ate it and he understood exactly why Kevin Nash did that so again Kevin Nash was real protective of Scott Hall Scott Hall had a whole lot of demons but he was Conquering them. He was being a regular person. Scott Hall was a legit regular person. And it's a shame that his life ended like this. I just wish that he could have been here longer. I wish that he could have been here for his friends, his family. But when your time's up, your time is up. And you just got to appreciate the time that you have with these people. The memories that you made on a lot of people's lives. And I'm pretty sure wrestlers understand that a lot. Entertainers understand that a lot. So... I just want to say thank you to Scott Hall. Thank you to um, the Click for allowing people to get that time to see you guys, to see the friendship being brought, brought between all of you guys. Uh, the Hall of Fame ceremony especially. You saw all five of those guys up there after Kevin Ash and Scott Hall got their uh, Hall of Fame rings after they being inducted separately. And then you see all five guys get up there. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, X-Pac, Nash, and Scott didn't even get the whole throw it up uh, too sweet side. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a shame. But uh, his, his it was it was happened to be just Scott Hall's time. So I want to wish uh, Scott Hall's family uh, condolences at this time. I want to wish um, Scott Hall's son and his daughter uh, condolences at this time. I want to wish his friends condolences at this time. The X-Pac, the Shawn Michaels, the Triple H, the Kevin Nash, the DDP, DDP for helping Scott Hall, uh, beat his demons and constantly help him like beat his demons. Jake, the snake for being friends with and being like confidants with, uh, Scott Hall during their time of battling demons. Larry Sabisco, Larry Sabisco and Scott Hall were good friends, and Scott Hall tried to get 
try to include Larry Sabisco in their WCW stuff anytime that he could because there's a multiple promos that you see Scott Hall calling out Larry Sabisco. You see him going over to Larry Sabisco, and you see later, and you hear about it later, that Scott Hall and Larry Sabisco were close friends at that time, and then they were close friends even after it. So, again, Scott Hall just included friends wherever he went. It's, it's a shame. But, again, um, condolences to him, condolences to Scott, and I want to wish his family, his friends, love and light during this hard time. And um, prayers up to Scott Hall's family and his friends. And uh, the wrestling business truly are going to miss Scott Hall because I forgot to mention this. And I'm going to mention this because this is really important. Out of all the things Scott Hall has done in this business, he, he has helped out the wrestlers incredibly by this one act and when it's already been noted by people but i'm not sure if anybody else knows about this when he left wwf but he talked about in the shoot interviews he never wanted to leave wwf he talked about how he wanted to stay in wwf he didn't want to go back to wcw because he was already there before as a diamond stud uh bodyguard for ddp and he told Vince that he wanted more money, and Vince just couldn't do it to him because at the time, Vince McMahon wasn't giving out guaranteed contracts. He was giving out opportunities to professional wrestlers. So you weren't getting guarantees. So Scott Hall went over to WCW. He he got a guaranteed contract, and, and his contract and Kevin Ash's contract, they had in their contract that if somebody came in and they got a bigger deal than they did, WCW had to match that deal, so they got more money. So whenever you got a Bret Hart coming in, he got a bigger deal than National Hall did. Guess what? National Hall got a bigger check. And it continued to go on and on. So what that ended up doing was making Vince McMahon create guaranteed contracts for the wrestlers. So ultimately, Attitude Era, Shawn, uh, Shawn Michaels gets a guarantee. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin gets a guarantee. Undertaker gets a guarantee just to make sure they don't go off to WCW and WWF goes Kaputsky. And it continues on until this day. You get the guaranteed contracts. You get the 90-day no complete causes. That is all because of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, but Scott Hall being the first because he had to take the leap of faith first and go over to WCW. And Kevin Nash was already following behind, but the first guy that always made this television screens first is Scott Hall, so he kind of shot the first shot. So that credit goes to primarily Scott Hall first, and then it follows up with Kevin Nash. But again, there's no separation here from that. Um, every professional wrestler that has a guaranteed contract and you're making big money, you need to thank Scott Hall and Kevin Nash for those big guaranteed contracts. Literally, you need to thank them for that because that changed the game and made sure that you guys get paid bigger money and all that good stuff. So, again, I want to wish Scott Hall's family, his friends, and uh, just the wrestling industry, uh, my condolences and my well uh, wishes uh, to them. And, yeah, you saw how much love Kevin Hall, Scott Hall got. He was got showered in a whole lot of love this week on Twitter. And it's always a shame that some we always like give people their flowers once they're gone, but we've but we don't know that they're about to leave. And once they leave, the way that Scott Hall left or 
the way that the wrestling industry is now, we all know about the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era is held up in such light, and also with the WCW stuff with NWO. It's crazy that he left like this, but once somebody leaves like this, you got no choice but to give them flowers. You got no choice because you didn't know that they were going to leave. So again, I want to say thank you to Scott Hall for the memories that you created for a lot of fans. And I want to say Scott Hall to, I want to say thank you to Scott Hall's family, his ex-wives and his uh, children for allowing the wrestling world to experience your father and your ex-husband in the light and bring us a lot of joy in the stuff that he did on television. I do want to say thank you for that. So with all that being said, I want to say I'm praying for you guys. I hope you guys find some peace. I know it's going to take some time, but I hope you guys get the peace that you're looking for uh, down the line. And um, I really am sorry for you guys. And with that all being said, Scott Hall, can you please uh, take us out of here? Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do.